Well, it is a pleasure to welcome all of you to Pathway and to this time of worship and the time of looking into God's Word. It's good to be back with you. I was away last weekend, so thankful to Pastor Ben, who so helpfully took us through Psalm 119. That's a challenge to go through the whole of that psalm, but he did a great job with that, always does. And, uh, but it's my pleasure to be back with you today, and welcome to everybody in the live services, in, uh, in the classic service on our Moon campus, online. Wherever you are checking this out, we're glad that you are doing so. We're going to dig into the scriptures here together today. I wonder, have you ever had something from which you've longed to be delivered? I'm guessing yes. About eight or ten years ago, I had a kidney stone. Yeah, exactly. I've never been in so much pain in all of my life. You've probably heard that uh, a kidney stone is oftentimes sort of equated with a woman going through the pains of childbirth and that they're about the same and it's like what a guy can experience to understand a little bit of what a woman goes through. And I've got to tell you, I've got the deepest amount of respect and admiration for what a woman goes through to give birth to a child, but I don't think it's as bad. I don't think, I don't think for this reason, because I've never heard anybody having gone through a kidney stone saying a year or two later, you know what, I think I'd like to have another. It, it never has happened in the history of the world. Uh, but I know that both of those are pretty significant, to say the least. In fact, I saw one list. It was the top ten list of the most intense pains that you can go through that would come on you. I mean, not like uh, the, the chronic sort of things that a lot of people suffer with, but something that might come on you like that. And, and uh, number one on the list was kidney stone. Number two was childbirth. Number five was getting shot. And so it sort of puts in perspective the sort of pain that is involved with that. And, and my pain was so significant with going through this kidney stone that it actually landed me in the ER. I should say it landed me first in the ER waiting room because they gave me this clipboard and this family history to fill out. I'm doubled over in pain. It's like, fill out this. And it's like, why do you need to know whether or not I have a family history that would make me susceptible to having a kidney stone when I've got one? Finally, they took me back, and I'm back in the back in one of the rooms, and they've got me up on the on the exam table, and literally, I'm doubled over. I'm in a fetal position. I'm whining like a little baby. Carolyn was saying that I was making all these involuntary sort of moans and groans, and there's some medical person in there. I think it was a medical student or something, and uh, they were saying to me, kind of going through their checklist. They're going like, okay, now, sir, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how bad would you say your Ten! They said, okay, now, just to make sure I can tell the doctor accurately, and to be clear, one is like minimal, and five is like medium. Ten is, is what I'm feeling right now. Well, by then, the doctor had walked in and said, I, I think our patient is in, this, in enough pain. We need to give him something. And I said, is it going to help? Is it going to take away the pain? And he said, absolutely. And I said, is it going to happen soon? And he said, pretty quickly. He said, we're going to give you the big guns which sounded great to me, and they put in this IV, and they gave me the big guns, and I'm happy to say that it wasn't too long after that that I was delivered from the pain that I was in at the time, and a little while after that, I was delivered from the whole circumstance, 
Well, today we're going to be talking about being delivered from pain, yes, and other circumstances as well. We're not talking about, uh, you know, the, the Scriptures don't tell us a whole lot about kidney stones. They don't tell, well, they tell us some about childbirth, but it's not about that. It's about something else that is just as significant, just as all-encompassing, just as intense as what any sort of pain that we might experience in a physical sort of sense might be. We're going to take a look at that today as we open up the Scriptures together with one another. And the place that we're going to find this is in Psalm 34. And so I would invite you to go ahead and open up to Psalm 34. If you haven't already, either in a Bible, we're going to make our way all the way through this passage, or in your Bible app or some way to find yourself there. It's good to bring your Bible week by week because we're always opening up a passage of Scripture. And so there's always something to see. There's always something to follow along with. So to have something there in your hands will be helpful to you as we make our way along each and every week. Now, Psalm 34 is where we're going to begin. We're in the midst of this sermon series where we're going through several of the different psalms that we find in the Old Testament. And this is a series that we're calling Psalms, a soundtrack for our lives. The psalms are songs, they're lyrics that the psalmist, that the ancient Israelites would put to music and they would sing them. And they would be expressing the different sorts of circumstances that they were going through in their lives. And so we find a lot of different categories of psalms. There are things like wisdom psalms. We've already taken a look at one of those. Psalm 1 was one of those wisdom psalms where it's telling us, here's how you might want to look at living your life if you want things to go well with you. There are praise songs where it's just declaring the praises of God. There are lament psalms where the psalmist is telling us a little something about just what is going on, the pains and the, and the difficulties that they are experiencing. Today, the psalm that we're looking at is essentially a thanksgiving psalm, where the psalmist is saying, these are things that I am so very thankful for in my life. We're going to take a look at what those things are that he is thankful for in his life and the significance of what those things are and, and the difference that it makes in his life. And specifically, the thing that he is so thankful for, and we'll see it as we make our way through this whole psalm, is deliverance. Deliverance. That's what we're calling this message today. Delivered is what we're going to be taking a look at. What's it mean to be delivered? What difference does that make? This is a very interesting and important topic because all of us have things that we want to be delivered from, right? Don't you? There's got to be something that is going on in your life from which you're looking forward to having yourself delivered from. Or if, if there's nothing there right now, count yourself blessed, but anticipate that something's going to come along the way. And there are all kinds of different things. For you, it might be something physical, wanting to be delivered from some physical circumstance, maybe something like a cancer, maybe some kind of physical sort of ongoing pain that you have been Processing, processing your way through maybe some chronic illness that you have been diagnosed with. And it's like, I need to be delivered from this circumstance. Maybe for you, it's something relational that you need to be delivered from. Maybe there's something that's poisoning a relationship that you have at work, and it's so difficult just to get up and go to work day by day because you know you're going to be facing that and encountering it. Or maybe it's a difficulty in relationship with a friend, or maybe a child, or, or a parent. Maybe you're estranged or maybe with your 
spouse. It can be any of a number of things. Maybe the thing you need to be delivered from is some sin that you just can't seem to get victory over. Or maybe it's someone who is always seeming to be against you, sort of an enemy who is present there in your life. There are all sorts of different things it could be. Ask yourself, what is it in my own life where I'm, I'm seeking, where I'm needing to find this sort of deliverance? It can be anything, but what the psalmist is doing is he is declaring his own deliverance or what he has found from the Lord. Now, in the case of Psalm 34, there are a few different realities that are experienced by the one who we're finding being delivered here in this psalm. But before we even jump into the specifics of what those things are, I want to set the stage because the psalm itself sets the stage for us. If you've been with us at all in this series, you've come to understand what superscriptions are if you didn't know already. Superscriptions are the text that you find in a psalm before you actually get to the verses. And in Psalm 34, it gives us some rather important different superscriptions or different pieces of information there in the superscription. And so what we find here is one of the things that it tells us is it tells us something about the author. It tells us who it is. So it says, Psalm 34, that it is of David. It's a psalm of David. He's the one who has written this psalm. It also tells us the historical setting for this psalm. And here's what it says about that. You can read it right there in your own Bible, your own text. When he pretended, this is of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So what's that about? Well, let's set the stage with it so we can understand the psalm. What he, what he is talking about here is one of the most difficult periods of time that David ever experienced in his life. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 21. That would be some great extra credit reading for you later on to go and to read through the background for this. But I'll tell you just a little bit about what that was so we kind of catch ourselves up very quickly. What's happening is that David is being pursued by Saul. Saul is, King Saul is a very jealous man. He is very angry with David. People are loving David. They're lifting up David. And he's like, well, what about me? And so he's trying to get rid of David. And so David's on the run. And as he's on the run, Saul will close in, his men will close in, and he scoots off somewhere else. And, and so he finally gets to the place where it's like, well, well, I can't stay in Israel any longer. So he decides that the best wisdom for him is actually to leave his own homeland and go to a different country, which he does. He goes to the land of the Philistines. Now, if you know your Bible or you've heard Bible stories, you know the Philistines are not the friends of the Israelites. They're bad enemies. In fact, you remember Goliath, David and Goliath, all right? Goliath was a Philistine. David has killed him before this point in time. But now David has gone to the Philistines. He actually ends up in the land or the city of Gath, which if you really know your Bible, you know that that's actually where Goliath was from. Now, David, before he goes, he's given just a little bit of bread so that he might have something to, to quench his hunger, and he's given a sword in the tabernacle. Well, what sword's in the tabernacle? There's only one. It was Goliath's sword. So here goes David. He's got Goliath's sword going to Goliath's hometown, and you can imagine how well he would be received. And that was the case. He shows up. People know who David is, and it's like, we're going to report to the king that you're here. And they do. And they tell him that there's this guy, and it's David, and the king knows all about David. And so now there's this problem, and David knows, i got to get out of town. 
this is not going to go well. It's like jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And so he's, he comes up with this idea for how they're going to let him go and not put him in dire straits. He comes up with the idea that what I'm going to do is I'm going to act like a madman. I'm going to act like I'm insane and they won't consider to me, me to be a threat. So he goes to the city gates and he sort of scribbles some things, some unintelligible things there on the gates. And people think he's really weird. And then he starts drooling in his own beard. And they really think that he's weird now. They really think that he's insane and he's a madman. And incidentally, when we see you people who've got beards with drool and things, we think the same thing about you. Food stuck in there, same thing, right? And so that's what's going on here, and that's what the superscription is about. This is what David is doing, and so that's what this psalm is telling us something about. Now, even if you, or if you look at the superscription, you saw it says that he, this is when he appeared before Abimelech. But the guy's name in 1 Samuel 21, I want to clear this up for you, is Achish. That's the king. Well, which is it? Is it Achish? Is it Abimelech? Is this a problem? Is this a conflict within the Scriptures? No, it's not. Abimelech, or I should say Achish, is the guy's given name, right? That's like uh, his, his real name. Abimelech is like a title, it's like a title that you would give to a ruler. Just like in the Egyptians, or among the Egyptians, they would give the title to the king, the pharaoh, right? That wasn't a specific name. It was this title, and that's all that's going on here. So there's, there's no conflict going on. Well, David's ruse works. And so the king there in 2 Samuel, we read this. It says, the king says, Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? I love that. I, I love the sarcasm that's going on there. Do I need more madmen? Really? So you're bringing this guy to me? I don't need this guy, which gives David the escape that he needs. And it provides for it, and that's exactly what he does. David gets out of town, and he goes and he hides out in this cave called Adullam. Adullam. And it's believed that this psalm is written from that cave. So that's what sort of sets up where we are and, and what's going on here in this text. So understanding some of that background behind the superscription and the experience in David's life, let's take a look at a few truths that are true about a person who is experiencing the deliverance that David believes that he is experiencing here. Now, some of it doesn't look like he's necessarily taken the right tack to get himself to the place where he is, but he at least at this point has come to an understanding, maybe through a change of his mind and of his heart, that God's deliverance is really resting on him. So let's take a look at some of the things that are true of the person who is experiencing deliverance from the hand of God. There are a few here that you can, you can just see as this text comes along. And the first of those is this. We see that the one who is being delivered has a song to sing. There's an outline there in your bulletin. You can fill in some of these blanks if you would like to a song to sing. Now, as we continue to learn about Hebrew poetry, to learn about the Psalms, there's something interesting about Psalm 34, and that is that it's what we call an acrostic psalm. You perhaps know what acrostics are. You can't see this in English, but in the original Hebrew language, each one of the verses begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So in English, it would be like the first one is A, and the second one starts with B, and the third one starts with C, and so on. And that's what is going on here in this particular text. In, this, in Psalm 34, there happens to be one letter that's missing, and it ends with a letter that isn't actually the end of the alphabet. But this is just a feature of Hebrew poetry. 
something that's helpful for us to understand as we make our way studying through the Psalms. And one of the reasons they would do that is so that it would help give some order to the Psalm. Or they might do it so that it would help them in remembering what it is. You're trying to remember the stanzas. You ever do that in a song? It's like, which, which is verse 2? Which is verse 3? Well, verse 2 is the one that starts with B. Verse 3 is the one that starts with C. And so it helps them to remember as they make their way along. But even though we can't see the acrostic, we can see the song that David is singing here as he reflects on the deliverance of the Lord. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. Let's jump into the text now. We've seen the setup. We've seen the superscription. Here's what the what Psalm 34, beginning verse 1, actually says. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. This is just exuberant praise that is coming forth from David. But it's not blind praise. It's not I just know that I should praise and so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of ignore everything that's going on around me. And I'm going to, that's not what he's doing here. It's not blind, it's not ignoring his circumstances. He's giving praise in the midst of his circumstances. What he's going through, he's not dismissing them so he can praise. He's using them and praising through them. And something that tips his hand here as to what is actually going on, the way that he is feeling about this and processing this, is where he says here in verse 1 that he's going to extol the Lord. It says, at all times. Not just in the good times, not just when there are things to celebrate, but at all times. And in verse 2, he's inviting the afflicted to hear and rejoice. David isn't offering praise in the absence of troubles. He's offering praise in the midst of his troubles, which is so very instructive for us. Something for us to learn. It also gives us a little bit of an idea of where his heart and where his mind and where his life and where his faith is at at this point. Tells us also something about where we can find our own hope. When it invites the afflicted to hear and rejoice, that's talking about us. If you ever feel yourself afflicted by something, this is a scripture that you should run to. What's causing your discouragement? What is it that you're hiding from? What's the cave that you find yourself hiding out in to, to, to try to avoid maybe certain things that are around you or, or things coming crashing in on your life? Whatever it is, it's so easy to get into this mindset that as soon as we're freed from the circumstance that we're in, then we can rejoice, then we can celebrate, then we can give praise to God for the deliverance that He's provided. As though we need to be free from it in order to get to that place. That's not what David's doing here at all. He's celebrating his deliverance before the deliverance is accomplished. While he's still in the midst of the circumstance, he's been fully delivered, but he hasn't fully escaped the situation. They're two different things. And it's very important that we would come to understand that so that we would find ourselves able to praise or not just in a circumstance where we can't worship God until everything's going fine. And everything's well. And that's what he's helping to teach us here. Now, notice also in these opening verses that David has a song to sing, but he's not singing a solo, or he doesn't want to sing a solo. Look at verse 3. It says, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David's looking for a duet here. He wants to be a part of a combo, an ensemble, maybe a whole choir that will lift their voices in praise to God, this is one of the great blessings that comes in being a part of a fellowship of believers, of being a part of doing life together with 
one another. This is essential. When one rejoices, we should join in with their praise and offer this chorus of praise to God. When we do that, that provides a blessing to God because we're giving praise to God. It also provides a blessing for the person that we're surrounding because we're surrounding them. We're standing with them in their circumstance, and it also provides a blessing for us because we're able to enter into the circumstance of what the other person is going through and and celebrate together with them. Of course, it also means that we join with them when things aren't going quite so well when they're going through the hurts and the hardships that come along with that. But unfortunately, we can do pretty poorly in this because why? We're all busy, right? We can get to this place where we're just all consumed by our own life, by our own situation. We, we have enough trouble just dealing with things for ourselves, let alone trying to enter into the life of somebody else. But But when we come to that perspective, we're essentially telling ourselves a lie. Because when you enter into somebody else's problem, it doesn't drain you, it actually enriches you. It actually fills you up. Why? Because you're entering in, you're uniting together with a brother, with a sister in Christ. You're standing with them. You're doing doing what the Lord has taught us to do, what the Lord Himself has done on our behalf. And it doesn't drain you, it fills you up. Now, you might say, well, I just can't imagine that happening, and if you can't, it's because you've never tried it. You've never been in it. You've never jumped in to see how it just is so filling to be able to participate in the body of Christ the way that the body of Christ is intended to walk with one another. And David says, I have a song to sing, but it's not a solo. Rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. Walk with me, he says, and invites us to do the same. David is in the process of being delivered here, and It's given him this song to sing, and he invites us to sing along. And then, as he goes on with this thought of deliverance and what it looks like, he says the one who's being delivered also not just has a song to sing, they also have a story to tell, a story to tell. And as he goes on here, what he's doing is he's sharing his testimony, the testimony of how things have gone for him. And it's a beautiful story. It's not an easy story. It's not one that any of us are going to want to enter into and experience for ourselves anytime soon, but it is a beautiful story. It's a story of deliverance, and you'll see that as he brings that idea up at several points. Get started in verse 4. Here's how it starts out. It says, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Think about that just for a second. Just stop right there for a second. They're radiant. Those who look to Him are radiant. Who's He talking about? People who are going through circumstances where they're needing some sort of deliverance, where things are difficult, where there are problems, where there are pains. He says, they're radiant. That makes no sense until you come to understand where this deliverance is coming from, that it's coming from the Lord. Their faces are never covered with shame. There's so much to notice here. What's the very first thing he starts out with? You see where this starts, where this all sort of is generated from, this ability to find deliverance in the midst of this? What's he say right at the beginning of the testimony? He says, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. You want the first key to finding deliverance in the midst of whatever it is you're facing? I sought the Lord. Beautiful approach he's, he's taking here. 
naturally. Now, as you read through the story in 1 Samuel 21, if you go back and read through it, it doesn't sound like he's seeking the Lord very much, and he's doing kind of things on his own. He's deciding, I'm going to go off to some foreign enemy nation. I'm going to appear before the pagan king. I am going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to, prepare, I'm going to pretend to be a madman, and uh, I'm not going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to do all these things on my own, right? And, and so it doesn't look like he's trusting so much, but it, it, there's something that's happened. Maybe it was when he got into the cave, he recognizes the circumstance. He can think for just a moment, and he recognizes that God has been with him in the midst of this trial that he's dealt with. And he's, he's experienced some escape, but not all that he needs. But he finds the Lord to be his deliverer in this context. And you can tell that David's feeling his weakness. Verse 6, look what he calls himself. says, this poor man, he's referring to himself, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. All of his troubles aren't over, but he's saying, I've been saved out of all of my troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That's how broad he is finding this deliverance to be. He's saying, even the angel of the Lord is surrounding me. He's taking care of me. He's protecting me. He's watching out for me. So, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, Fear the Lord, you His people, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. I love the way he's coming to the end of his testimony here. As we've pointed out, David is, is in a position of tremendous need where his life is being or has been under such tremendous risk. And it could very well be described as all the things he doesn't have. David doesn't have an army to protect him. David doesn't have really any significant weapons to surround him or, or any people to come to his aid. He doesn't have any food. He doesn't have any companions. Basically, his companions in the cave are rats and bats. That's about it. But yet, look what he is saying. He's saying, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I've got nothing, but I lack nothing because what I do have is the Lord. And then as though it's like, maybe you don't believe me yet, so let me tell you something more to sort of put it in a little bit more perspective. He goes on in verse 10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He's saying even the apex predator sometimes has a need, but not the one who trusts in the Lord not the one who trusts in the Lord. Where are you feeling like you lack? Whatever it is, wherever it is, the Lord can deliver. The point of David going into his testimony here is so that he might be able to convince us or talk to us in such a way to show us how real his experience is. He's essentially saying, look, this isn't just theory. This isn't just theology I'm trying to tell you about, David says. This is real life where it's lived. He's saying, this is where I've been. See, we might be tempted to read through a scripture and say, yeah, that's just theology. Yeah, that's just theory. But that doesn't really help me. David says, set those things aside for a moment 
This is life as it's really lived. And that's where you are. You may very well be in some circumstance of your life. Understand what David is saying here, that this is the real deal. And he wants you not just to know about that, he wants you to do something about that. So he goes on, and the last piece of this that we get here for the one who is being delivered is that they also have a truth to teach, a song to sing, a story to tell, and a truth to teach. And the lessons David wants to teach here get started in earnest in verse 11. He instructs by saying this, come my children. He's taking on this father role. He's saying, let me, let me help you toward the goal. Let me surround you with my knowledge, what I have, what I've experienced, and help move you. My children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't think any of us are confused about what he means when he says the fear of the Lord. He's not talking about fear in the sense of this is what you might experience when you get caught in a, in a dark alley in the middle of the night or, or when the snake comes up through the bathtub drain. We've all got different fears, right? So it's not any of that. You know that. It's about reverence. To fear the Lord is to reverence the Lord. It's to honor the Lord. It's to stand in awe of the Lord. But even that, David seems to know, can be an incomplete idea. Because when you think about reverence and you think about fear and you think about honor, it's like those can all be thoughts. Those can all be things that I could just sit in my armchair and I could contemplate them and try to offer them to God and feel that I'm right where I need to be. David says, no, no, no. There's more to it than that. If you really want to experience it, if you want your testimony to be the same as mine, essentially he could be saying there's something more to it. He understands that it involves more than just thought. So he says, verse 11, we read it, listen to me, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And I'm like, okay, what's it mean to fear the Lord? He says, let me tell you. Next verse, verse 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days who would fear the Lord. Here it is. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's saying that living in the fear of the Lord is not captured in thought alone. It requires action. It requires obedience. It requires engagement, taking part, getting busy, not sitting back in the armchair, but getting out and getting involved and doing things that demonstrate that the things that we believe in our hearts and in our minds, we actually believe because we don't believe them until we actually do them, until we live them. We can't just think our way into righteousness or believe our way into piety. It's more than that. Here's how David says it. If you want it, then turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The way that we respond matters because, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. David knows that he's been heard by the Lord. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. 
not one of them will be broken. Again, it's helpful to keep in mind that David is writing this song of deliverance from a cave in a foreign land. His circumstances haven't changed, but his heart has. And if that seems puzzling to you, it's because you haven't come to the place to understand that there can be deliverance apart from escape. There can be deliverance that comes apart from escape. See, we're so conditioned to to think that I can have joy and satisfaction, I can have peace as soon as I have freedom from pain and toil and trouble and difficulty, that those things have to come together. But David here has spent this whole psalm making a different point. He's declaring deliverance from some of the greatest trials of his life while they're still going on. And that is the greatest freedom of all because it means that there's no circumstance, there's no influence that can come into your life that can take you out of the realm of finding deliverance. And I may say, well, that that doesn't really compute to me because we're talking about deliverance, but yet how can I really experience the full deliverance until I experience the escape? Because that's not really deliverance. It is deliverance. But what are you being delivered from? You see, it's possible for us to get to the place in our lives where even in the middle of the circumstance that we're in, we have found the presence of the Lord so powerful, so strong, so real to us that the circumstance we're in actually pales, actually is removed in significance because of the presence that we find in the Lord. Now, many times the deliverance does come through escape, and sometimes it doesn't, but we're not stuck when it doesn't, we can still find the Lord. We can find His fullness. We can find His provision. Do you want to live in that freedom? I know that you do, and you can. David is teaching here that that same deliverance is available for every one of us just as he's experiencing it. And how do you find it? Like David, I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Sometimes it's like, why haven't I found deliverance? Maybe because we haven't really sought the Lord. That's David's prescription for us here. You want a memory verse? (laughs) Try that one. Something to post on the fridge, put on the sill, kitchen window sill at home. Try that one. Or better yet, something to provide for you in the midst of the circumstances that you're facing to help you to find deliverance. There it is. Practice that. Embrace the reality of that promise. Then David wraps it up with this in verse 21. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. That's David sort of stepping back. It's like, well, let me, let me give you a bit of a summary He says the Lord will provide rescue. He'll deliver His servants. Sometimes that happens, as we've said, through escape from the circumstance. Sometimes that happens through deliverance in the midst of the circumstance. But either way, it's a path to victory in the moment and a promise of all wrongs being made right forevermore. 
saying there's something to hold on to for where we are, something to encourage us in the moment. Also, to be able to recognize that God is making all things right. And the things that seem so wrong in our world, the things that might be oppressing you, the circumstances that you're longing to be free from, even if you don't find the freedom, you find the deliverance, but not the escape. In the moment, the escape is coming. Eventually, it will come for sure, if not sooner. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're facing today, this psalm provides amazing hope. The pain and the weight that you're feeling in the circumstance, you can be delivered from that, he says, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, whatever it happens to be, there's a path to deliverance offered to us today. Take it. How? Like David, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that you offer to us. Thank you for David and his testimony that this isn't just some scripture that's been written that, yeah, does that work? I don't know. But that this is real life, the way that David has lived it. And he's declaring from a cave in a foreign land the deliverance that you've offered. So his, his thoughts and his praise is soaring. He's giving thanks for the circumstance of his life from the cave. Lord, I pray for each of us here, each of us listening, wherever we're listening, that you would give us the faith to trust, to give it the try. For some of us, we've been locked in to a lack of deliverance for months, maybe years, because we've been waiting for the escape. And in the meantime, we have been calling you out for your unfaithfulness, for your lack of assistance, for your lack of relief, for your lack of deliverance. When all the while we've been failing to seek you, to seek after the Lord so that we might hear from you, so that we might be able to learn from the circumstances that we're in, to grow through the situations that we find ourselves in. There is nothing that any of us are facing in this moment that we can't find your deliverance for from our fears, from our anxieties, from our stress, from our worry. Whether or not the circumstance changes at the same time or not. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to trust, to rest, to pause, to reflect, to seek you, to get on our knees, to call out to you because you promised to hear. And as it was for David, you promised that we will find your deliverance. Lord, we need that today. So soften our spirit Draw us closer that we might seek you and find you 
and the deliverance you promise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so grateful that we serve a God of deliverance. The circumstances may be different for each of us, but as people of God, ours is a story of rescue. When we take refuge in Him, we can rest assured that our hope is indeed secure. I pray you're able to live in that truth this week and keep praising Him for it. Thanks again for being with us today. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.